You are listening to the Sermons Podcast of First Baptist Church, Mount Washington. We have uh, looked at the first six chapters of Daniel and some of the wonderful stories of Daniel and his friends. In chapter 7, we note uh, a very different change in uh, how, uh, what, what is communicated there in the scriptures. Uh, this is sometimes called apocalyptic literature. Uh, apocalyptic is revelation from God generally concerning the end times. And uh, it's some of the most difficult, I think, of Scripture to, to interpret and understand. It's complex. It's uh, wild and scary at times, imaginative, uh, that uh, is hard. But the goal of it and we need to keep emphasizing this, is not to scare us or to confuse us as God's people, but, but rather to comfort us and to give us hope about the certain future that God has for his, his people. And so sometimes as we're reading the scriptures, we'll get to portions of scripture like this and we'll just skip over on to something else. And, and uh, sometimes preachers, I think, will also just end the sermon series at chapter six um, but you know that your pastor doesn't have enough sense to do that. And so, again, your amens are off today. You keep amening the wrong things. Um, well, Daniel chapter 7. Notice, as we read verse 1, we're gone back in history, back to Belshazzar. Um, in the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream visions of his head as he lay in, in his bed. And then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, and behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea. And four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. And then as I looked, its wings were plucked off and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it. And behold, another beast, a second one like a bear, it was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth and it was told, arise, devour much flesh. After this, I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back, and the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand 
thousand served him, and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I then I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed, and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and language should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious and the visions of my head alarmed me. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask, Lord, as always, for your help, and especially with difficult uh, visions, words like these we find in Scripture. Please give us understanding, Lord, what, what you want us to understand and hear. And I pray that you would use me as your servant. I pray that you would increase and I would decrease, and your word would go forth. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Oh my, what are we to do with this? I was reading a while back a clip um, from Reader's Digest in which there was a, a medical transcriptionist who was doing her job and was listening to uh, the doctor's notes read and she was transcribing them and she came upon this very perplexing diagnosis uh, she, she heard it and typed it and she said, this man has fallen from a tree. And she thought that sounded really bad and yet she was unfamiliar with the, the, that condition. She looked it up in her dictionaries and medical dictionaries and couldn't find that diagnosis anywhere. And uh, so she reached out to the doctor and asked for clarification and he himself listened to the tape, and, and when he got to that part, he just shook his head, and, and he, he stopped, and he says, it's translated this, this man has fallen from a tree. <laughs> fallen from a tree. <laughs> it turns out that sometimes things aren't as sophisticated as we might imagine them to be at first. And I think it illustrates a good principle when a Bible reading and especially apocalyptic literature that it's usually wise to begin with, with what is most simple, what is the most plain thing that is being said. In fact, we've said that to let the plain things of the Bible be the main things. Duguid explains it like this. If we understand the central purpose of these passages, talking about such as in Daniel, and we focus our attention on what is clear and straightforward rather than one on what is complicated and obscure, then we will find blessing and encouragement in the apocalyptic portions of the Bible. 
And so I think there's a great principle for reading these final chapters in Daniel as we get into some of these uh, difficult texts or whether we're reading portions of Ezekiel or even Revelation. I know that will not satisfy all of you uh, to leave some details unanswered as we read and and study this together. But I want to remind you, and I I find it very comforting, that at least two times in in Daniel, Daniel himself says that even he didn't understand everything that was given to him. And so part of our laboring to understand passages like this is also learning to leave the things that are, are complex, we leave those things to God, and we trust him in that. Now, Jeff Thomas, I think is helpful here, reminds us that the Bible presents to us when we talk about end times things, it it presents to us kind of two developments in history that, that run side by side, and we find this throughout the Bible. The first teaching is this, that the kingdom of God will spread and grow like a mustard seed that becomes into a great tree. It is progressive like that. The nations uh, will come like birds to a tree and find their homes in its branches. That same truth taught by Jesus, there's also taught in another parable by Jesus, the, uh, the parable of the yeast that, that permeates the entire lump of dough. That is, the kingdom of God will continue to expand and grow on the earth until finally Jesus will come again and consummate the kingdom and judge the world. That's the first thing, kind of general track that the Bible teaches. The second one, though, is that the Bible also teaches that just as the kingdom of God is going to grow, that wickedness will grow. And it will be relentless. It will also grow and expand. And multitudes will continue to flock to the broad way of destruction Jesus talked about. And only few will find the way to life. People nearing the end of the age will be behaving no better than they did in the days of Noah when the flood came. And the climax will eventually be 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, which tells of the man of sin or a man of lawlessness who is going to be revealed and a great rebellion against God will take place. This will be the climax of that evil, and that is until Jesus comes again and destroys that man and brings judgment on all who are not his children. So those two contrasting but, uh, but, but, incom- uh, but not incompatible perspectives are what the Bible teaches. There are two kingdoms at war with one another. And we see this throughout history. At, at times it looks like one is gaining advantage over the other. At times it looks that way and feels that way. Things may look bad. But here's the message of the Bible. In the end, the kingdom of God will prevail at the second coming of Jesus Christ. And we can see both of those perspectives in Daniel's dream here in chapter 7. It's kind of an overview of history again, a big wide lens perspective of history and, and what will happen in the future. So let's walk through it briefly. First, we note the fearful face of history. The fearful face of history. We're talking about that expanded wickedness. This is the message, I think, of verses 1 through 8. 
From time to time, we may have nightmares as uh, people. Uh, mine is always, uh, one recurring one is that I'm, I'm late to a, a church that I'm supposed to be preaching at, and I'm driving, and I'm driving, and I'm driving, and I can't get there, and time is passing by, and all these different things. But, but few nightmares compare to what Daniel has here. He first sees a great sea that is being stirred up. And, he, and it, we're not told what this necessarily represents, but, but it, it, it's violent winds from all different directions that are stirring up this sea, which is a common metaphor in the Bible for, for things of evil and chaos and unrest. And then rising from the sea, four great monsters, beasts, Come up. We, we, we learn down in verse 17 and verse 23 that these beasts represent kings or kingdoms that are going to, nations, if you will, that are going to come up. Nations often select beasts as their symbols of power. So we think about Russia, we think about the Russian bear, or we think about the China and the Chinese dragon, or we think about our own America and the great eagle. Um, by the way, we should be thankful because if Benjamin Franklin had had his way, our nation symbol would have been a turkey, right? Wow, ferocious. But Daniel, he saw four beasts. Verse 4, a lion that had wing, eagle's wings or, or wings. Verse 5, a vicious bear. Verse 6, a leopard that had wings and four heads. Verse 7 is a beast so terrifying, Daniel doesn't even know what to call it. And, and these represented kings or kingdoms who would cast a, a, a terrifying shadow over the world. One kingdom would briefly succeed another as the top dog, and perhaps the next one would be more terrifying, more powerful than the last kingdom. There's a progressiveness that's happening. This is very similar, by the way, to chapter 2 of Nebuchadnezzar's dream. You remember his dream about that metal statue that, uh, and, the, and the different metals that each represented nations uh, with King Nebuchadnezzar being the golden head, uh, if you remember. Daniel's dream here is kind of the same subject, that, that, the, that this is the, a, a history, a spanning of, of the world. But, but instead of seeing a man and focusing on the, the achievements of, of man, Daniel sees these wild beasts. Not, not creations of, of, of high culture and living, like golden head of that Nebuchadnezzar statue, but creatures that are literally living to gain power and to, and to conquer and to destroy. You wonder if Daniel, when he, he had those windows in his room open um, and he could see out over Babylon. It, it brings to mind Satan taking Christ up and showing him all of the kingdoms of the world and all of their splendor. But when God shows Daniel here what is, mark this, what is real, he sees ferocious beast, a roaring lion, a hungry bear, a swift leopard, and this unknown, terrifying beast. Now, we can speculate what these kingdoms represent, but beloved, that is all that would be. 
Uh, the historical view is that the lion represents the Babylonian empire. And, and we can see that in some of the description because it talks about it losing its wings and then it stands up on two feet and it gains its right mind. You remember what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, right? And so it, it brings to mind that perhaps that represents uh, that. Empires will rise and fall and, and they will be humbled uh, and uh, the bear perhaps represents the Medo-Persian empire. That's uh, the one that Darius that we talked about last week. Verse five, that appetite. He tells the bear, arise, devour much flesh. Isn't that the mantra of every evil empire? The leopard with four wings might represent Alexander the Great who conquered the world. I think when he was like, 32, he'd conquered the whole world with such swiftness, like a leopard, you know, he'd conquered. And then the unknown beast is thought to have been Rome, which with its extraordinary power, uh, this beast had, was kind of a mix of beast and, and, and technology. It has iron teeth, and it literally just crushes everything in its path. In the Bible, horns represent power. And so this beast just devours everything. Now, again, in truth, we don't know what these are. We're not told in the scriptures what they are. It may just be a representation of general kingdoms throughout history. And, I, I, and frankly, I'm not for sure the writer invites us to interpret all of these things. But, but rather, he wants to make an impression on this. This is part of the purpose of apocalyptic literature. It is, it is, to, it is to move you. It is to provide a general explanation of what is to happen, but he wants to alarm us in this vision, doesn't he? That's his point. It's alarming. It's, it's terrifying as we see these creatures, these kingdoms. No matter how much our world is full of lights and sounds and glitter and gold, we are reminded here, do not let your eyes fool you, church. Don't be fooled. From one perspective, from a humanistic perspective, the history of man is one of great achievements to see how far we've come in all these different advancements and achievements and technology and all these things. But you understand from a biblical perspective, it is a, it, it, it is a decadent, depraved, and dangerous world. And Daniel takes special note of this fourth beast, whoever it represents. He says in verse 7, because it was different than all the other beasts that was before it. And in, in verse 21, this is uh, very particular, specific. Because this beast declares war on God's people. Thomas writes this uh, appropriately. He says, the word of God is saying, you remember how Nebuchadnezzar had seen the history of mankind? you know, of, of that statue with the golden head. Now, let me also show you this. Great nations will devour small nations. The God of this world will always be at war with the saints of the Most High. The world system is ultimately anti-Christian. Its great power structures are like wild beasts that stalk the lambs of Christ's flock. And yet Jesus said, I'm sending you forth as sheep among wolves. You say, well, that's a Debbie Downer now, isn't it? And, 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 and you can say that, but, but, but from the Bible standpoint, this is, not, this is not pessimistic. This is just realistic. 
This is reality. This is truth, and, and it's hopeful truth because apocryphal literature like this is all for proclaiming genuine hope. That is its ultimate goal, but it refuses to do so by ignoring or denying the evil forces that are present in human history. And church, this is meant to, this is meant to keep us from going to sleep. It's like waking up from a nightmare and, and sweating. <gasps> you know, you're, you're terrified or, or, or you call out. This, this is meant to alarm us. This keeps us from being lulled to, with all, again, all of the glitz and glamour around us. There are beasts that are lurking in this world that seek to kill you. What, what we cannot see is more real and terrifying than the enemies that we can see. This is what we're reminded of. And the continual presence of them, one after the other, ought not to surprise us. Because every human manifestation of evil is, is simply a reflection of the great dragon himself, Satan, isn't it? Revelation 13 We'll pick up this language of Daniel and, and, and this beast rising from the sea, and it will share many of the same uh, characteristics that we see here from Daniel 7. It combines many of the features, and, and, and it's reminding us that whatever our location and space and time, wherever we're at in history of the, the history of the world, we can expect that there are frightening monsters that are arraying themselves against the Lord and His people, you. Paul said we wrestle not against flesh and blood, right, but against rulers and authorities and against spiritual forces of evil. And Daniel here gets to see them up close in his dream, and he shares it with them for us so that we can see. It's no wonder the nightmare left him anxious and alarmed. Verse 15, it says, verse 28, greatly alarmed, he says. Well, after verse 8, we're awaiting more explanation about the terrors of this little horn. Daniel seems to be fixed on that. But instead, we find ourselves looking elsewhere. All of a sudden, the, the scenery shifts in the dream to a, a throne and what we might call second, the second point, the firm kingship of heaven. That's the message of verses 9 through 14. And, and it's, as if, it's as if the writer here, the text here, is saying to us, yeah, there, there are really some pretty scary beasts out there, but I don't want you to be over-anxious about this, these beasts or about this little horn. I want you to fix your eyes here, church. Verse 9, as I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out before him. A thousand thousand served him and 10,000 times 10,000 stood before him. The court sat in judgment and the books were open. Now that's a scene, isn't it, church? The Ancient of Days all of a sudden appears. There's all these beasts, and then we're said, no, 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 don't, don't fix your eyes there. You need to look here. That Ancient of Days, that's a title for God. 
And it's not given there to impress you of how old God is, right? Because God is eternal. This is a title that is meant to show you how grand and glorious he is and why you don't need to fear beasts. It pictures his wisdom. Human kingdoms are caught up in their activity of devouring and conspiring and rebelling. But here, notice, the Ancient of Days comes in and he just takes his seat, doesn't he? He's not bothered. He's not wringing his hands. He's not looking at the world saying, oh my goodness, everything's just out of control. No, he's, he's in control. Davis writes this, he sits, he does not stew. He reigns. In other words, real power is not in these beastly kingdoms. It is in the throne of our God. He's full of righteousness. That's what the whitest snow clothing, the hair like, head, like pure wool. He's full of justice. There's fiery flames, a stream of fire. They're setting, a court is setting in judgment. The books were open. This is not just an angry, flippant God. This is a God, a just God who is about to administer just judgment. You might say it's by the book. He's full of righteousness and justice. He's full of majesty. Think about that picture where a thousand thousand serving him, 10,000 times 10,000 standing before him. There's this innumerable host acknowledging the splendor and majesty. It's interesting. Verse 11, the little horn tries to speak up and distract you from the ancient of days. But we read there in verse 11, as I looked, it's just simply stated, isn't it? It's like there's no fanfare here. The beast was killed. And it was destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. And as for the rest of the beast, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season and a time. Just like that. We sang earlier, a mighty fortress. You remember that line that says, one little word fail him one little word and there was death for this beast whoever opposes the ancient of days apparently is destroyed and judgment kingdoms will come and go but this god remains on his throne verses 13 and 14 another person enters the courtroom in daniel's dream we are told this one is like a son of man who is coming on the clouds. There is a humanness to this, this one here. He comes, yet he comes from the clouds. He comes from another world, from heaven. It's a divine figure. It's a royal figure because we're told there he, he is a king as well because dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people's nations and language should serve him, an everlasting dominion. Who is this? This is the king of kings and Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. Jesus revealed himself to the high priest in Mark 14 during his trial. He said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Jesus says, I am this one Daniel talked about. What is the point of Daniel's dream and of the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man? Is it not to encourage us in our suffering today? 
Yes, there's more to know about this fourth beast and all these horns and all those different things. But the text here seems to insist that we, for, we, we forget about that for just a moment. Just put those out of our mind and that we focus on the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man who is coming in the clouds. The kingship of heaven, you see, is firm and final. Here's what's going to happen in history, he says. Things are going to get progressively worse. That's going to be happening. Many are going to suffer. Perhaps some are going to lose their lives to these beasts. But I want you to make no mistake about this, Daniel and the church. The Ancient of Days and the Son of Man are sovereign over history. And everything in history is moving towards that day, as Revelation 11 says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he shall reign forever and ever. And you see, that doesn't, that, that doesn't eliminate suffering or the possibility of suffering for us as believers in Christ. But it does give some sanity to all this mess, doesn't it? To have this broad perspective, it does not keep us from pain, but it, it should certainly keep us from panicking today. It, it, it does not, uh, it doesn't mean that we won't be fearful. But here's the thing, we are not going to be frantic because we have the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man, Jesus. We serve and worship Him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will never pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. These beasts have a judge to whom they must give an account. Leads us third to the final victory of the saints. The final victory of the saints. That's the message of verses 15 through 28. And I just will cover them very briefly. But in verse 16, Daniel asks once again about the meaning of all of this, this nightmare. Verse 16, he says, I approached one of those who stood there and I asked him the truth concerning all of this. And so he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four beasts, great beasts, are four kings who will arise out of the earth. But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever, forever, and ever. And once again, notice the angel is not fixated on the identity of these beasts. And I, I know, and you know this, beloved, this is not in the notes, but you know with everything going on in Israel and our world, there's going to be a hundred new books coming out in the next few weeks. And they're going to be telling you all about who's who and what is what, and it is the save your money. Sorry, that was just an added thing. I'll get back to this. Verse 19 Daniel presses for more information. I, I agree. I want to know too, he, he, particularly about this fourth beast and the ten horns and, and what a, this powerful little horn that was waging war on the saints. But, but I want you to notice from night, verse 19, there's not much more information that is given. He essentially reiterates the same thing. He reaffirms what he's already said. We're told, for example, verse 24, as for the ten horns out of this kingdom, ten kings shall arise and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones and shall put down three kings. 
He shall speak words against the Most High they, and, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High and shall think to change the times and the law and they shall be given into his hand for a time, times, and a half a time. There's nothing in this that tells us who these kingdoms are or who these kings are, is there? He gives no information about that. And the way that he describes it, by the way, the time of the trial and the judgment that is to come is vague enough. It really could mean many nations. Ten could be, I think it is, a complete number. It's just reminding us there's going to be many powers that are going to come, many antichrists that are going to come between now and Jesus coming. And, and when the complete number passes, that ten, whatever it is, whoever they are, when it when it passes, it's going to lead up to this final horn, this little horn, as Daniel calls him, which will be the last leader of the earth's kingdom. We don't know who he is. We don't know when he's coming. We don't know if he's here right now. We don't know any of those things. I think it's likely the man of sin, isn't it, or the man of lawlessness. We don't know who it is. John called him the Antichrist. But again, it doesn't matter who it is, and the angel's not concerned about it, because the greater point is, is that Jesus is going to take care of him. You okay with that? Amen? I, I, and a quote from Duke would maybe be helpful here. He says, the reason for this vagueness on the angel's part, and it is vague, it lies in, the, in that the primary interest is not the boastful horn. It's as if the angel is saying to Daniel, Daniel, you're missing the point. Yes, the horn will assault God's people. It will be a trying time for the saints. But look beyond the horn. The point of the vision is that the time when the beast oppressed the saints is limited by God, and beyond it lies this heavenly court where the Ancient of Days will bring judgment. Verse 26, but the court shall set in judgment and his dominion, that dominion of the little horn shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end and the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the most high. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom and all dominion shall serve and obey him. Isn't that great news? So today, we live in a world of terrifying beasts. And they have the authority to rule and to kill and to persecute God's people because God has given them that authority. Some of those beasts have human faces, don't they? And we can look around and think about that. We think about the persecutors of the faithful church in places like the Sudan and in China, in Saudi Arabia and North Korea. Unspeakable kinds of persecutors. There, there are terrorists who continue, right, right, who fly planes in the buildings. We've seen that and try to blow up people in marketplaces and cause all kinds of damage. On Mission Sunday, in, which will be two weeks from today, we're going to be talking about the persecuted church and praying for the persecuted church. I hope that you'll be there for that. It's going to be a, a wonderful day. But here, we're reminded of something else, that we're, we're not going to live in their world forever. 
There will come a day when all wrongs are going to be set right. When all tyrants are going to be dethroned and humbled. When all that is broken is going to be fixed. And on that day, the great beast himself, Satan, will be bound and he will be brought before the ancient of days on his throne. He will answer for his sins. He will be cast into the lake of fire. And perhaps our greatest challenge, maybe the greatest message of this passage is to keep our eyes on the ancient of days and the Son of Man, isn't it? Yeah, we're aware of the, the, the fear. We're aware of the dangers. And, and we're aware of the attempts of the evil one to wear us out. But what keeps us faithful is that we know the end. And even more so, we know who is the beginning and the end, the Alpha and Omega. And we keep our eyes on Him. If this is where all of history is headed, and it is, to this throne. Maybe for some of you today, the most important question is, are you ready to meet Him? If this is where everything is going, including you. On that day of judgment, our only hope, our only hope will be that Jesus Christ, the Son of Man, has taken our judgment for us on the cross. He paid for our sins with His life. You could even say he faced the beast of sin and death for us. And on the third day, he rose again and conquered them. And so the question is, have you come to him in faith? Have you bowed your knee before this son of man who is Jesus? If you haven't, today is the day. Lord, we thank you for Daniel's dream that in many ways just seems like some kind of crazy movie out of Hollywood. And yet, Lord, it's meant to arouse and awaken and alarm us, Lord, of the things that are most important, of where all of history is headed, to you, to your throne. And so, Lord, may we keep our eyes on you, those of us who know you, and continue, Lord, to strive for faithfulness, Lord. And for those who don't know you today, we pray for them that you would open their eyes to see this. This isn't a movie. This, is, this isn't a dream. This is reality. This is truth. Lord, help them to see it and help them to trust you as their Lord and Savior. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I'm Pastor Jason Clark. And if you don't have a church home, I want to personally invite you to First Baptist Mount Washington. We're striving to be word-centered, gospel-focused, and community-minded. 
Learn more about our church and our meeting times from our website, fbcmw.org.